developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And now a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Has anyone ever thrown up on you on purpose? See, I like to start the show off and ask deep questions to you. Yeah, my baby uh, throws up on me. He is a professional. Ten months old, and he can projectile vomit Six feet. This kid is a star. If that is his sole purpose, my goodness, he's already fulfilled it. <laughs> What's your sole purpose? Do you think about that at all? Our featured guest is awesome. She's going to help you find your sole purpose. We're going to talk about ways to enhance life and uh, have a more fulfilling uh, existence. Let's begin tonight's show. It is a great joy to welcome back to the show Teresa Pushkar, highly skilled author, transformational leader, and edutainer. Pretty interesting title. She's written over 50 motivational study guides. And one of her most recent books is about eight ways to declutter your brain. I wish I had like 50 ways to declutter my brain because it's a big, big mess. <laughs> you can learn more about Teresa by going to her website at TeresaPushkar.com. Teresa, welcome back to our show. How are you? I am wonderful, Ryan. How are you? My favorite, one of my, I almost say my favorite, my, one of my favorite interviewers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> wow. This will, now, jeez, the, the pressure is on. But, you know, if you're like my wife, you'll just know that I'm, I regularly disappoint, so there's no reason to get your hopes up. <laughs> so, no, I doubt it. <laughs> so your book, Decluttering Your Brain, well, I would imagine that with everyone being stressed out and fear running rampant through society, people are pretty uh, bogged down. But what are some of the ways that a person can declutter their brain? Well, you know, I started this book way back as an audio, and then I transformed it into a book, Ryan. And I realized that when one is a spiritual seeker, they can muck up their brain with even more clutter than ever. So, for example, I realized that I was getting angry about the anger that I held on to because I knew better as a spiritual seeker, right? Or I was getting frustrated with my impatience so that the mind can play real tricks on us to get us out of our hearts and into our 
quagmire, this web in our brain that just creates more and more craziness. So the book is about that. It's the eight ways to declutter your brain. And as you said, there could be 50 more, God knows how many. And especially if you're a creative like me uh, and, you know, jumping here, there and everywhere. But there are ways to do it. And there's actually some new insights okay. I have since even writing the book. So mm-hmm. what are some of the ways that a person can declutter their brain? Well, I think the first step is ruthless self-examination. You know, I've spent years as a seeker, and I thought I was being very honest with myself. As a producer, I've been in the studio with my favorite authors, exposing my deepest, darkest. But when I really sat with myself and reflected on when I was out of integrity with myself, then that started allowing me to examine who I am on a deeper level. And I think to launch yourself into decluttering the brain, you have to get a sense of who you really are. No holds barred and just brutal honesty. For, I can give you an example, Ryan. I'm thinking of this. So my daughter's um, 19, and I've been dragging her along. When I was a producer, I'd be recording audiobooks with famous, you know, spiritual authors, and I'd be dragging her in. I'd be breastfeeding her <laughs> between takes and stuff, and pulling her into these workshops and stuff. And then finally, she got a little older. I was like, Mom. And I dragged her to one particular weekend workshop and said, please, honey, because she has, like so many teens we know of these days, a lot of anxiety, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair and fear. And I kept thinking, maybe just the next one. So I'm sitting there in this workshop, and she falls asleep, Ryan, and I'm getting all worked up as I'm trying to quiet my brain, and I'm like, dang, damn it, she's sleeping. I, she really, and, and I started going, what's really going on, Teresa? And when I got brutally honest with myself and ruthless self-examination, Ryan, it was all about me. It was about me feeling good enough as a mom. It's about me kind of thinking, well, if she felt better, then I'd feel better. If she was more comfortable and less anxious, then I would be less anxious. And I can pat myself on the back and say I'm a great mom. I had to look at what aspect of that was all about me and satiating my ego and my fears. And then, yes, there's a part of it as a mother. Of course, I want my daughter to feel comfortable and peaceful. But that's an example of ruthless self-examination, and it takes courage, and we trick ourselves. But I think that's really key. Uh, I love working on shadow and trying to process mm-hmm. the shadow. I also do personality tests. There's this really interesting test I, I actually take on a somewhat regular basis. It's called seemypersonality.com, and mm-hmm. I take it, I think, every month or every other month because I, I kind of want to see where I, my head is at or where my current mental health is. It's really interesting mm. because it goes by visual categories on there. So right. when you are looking and you are processing, you're doing self-examination, what do you think mm-hmm. are some of the main goals for that? Is it necessarily to heal old trauma? I mean, what is your end-all be-all goal? Is it, I mean, can the can trauma or can something that you cannot reconcile in the past, can that actually be an asset to you? Because one of my um, PR mentors, he has a lot of pain, and I think the pain has driven him to new levels of success. And I wonder if sometimes having unprocessed parts of yourself, having deep anxiety or, or deep unresolved pain in some way, shape, or form, that that could be more of an asset than a tribulation to you. 
That, that is very insightful, Ryan, absolutely. And what I have noted is this. We spend most of our lives trying to avoid pain and discomfort. And the pain and discomfort, just like you said, comes from childhood trauma. That's all catalyst to go deeper within. The trick, though, and so many of my spiritual teachers are sharing this, and I'm sharing it too, is that when you face your fear, your pain, physical, mental, spiritual, allow yourself to fully fall into it and express it. Then there's healing. Then there's revelation. Then there's quieting the mind. It's the, well, first of all, let's just say that the, the mind doesn't get quiet. You can get to a point where, and I talk about it in the book, you, you get to a witness state. So I'm living the drama right now. I'm talking to you in this show, but there's another part of myself that's watching the drama unfold, watching me and you doing this, that's, un, that's disconnected, that doesn't have an agenda, that's just in the witness state. So as one meditates more, as one cultivates the greater sense of self-awareness, then they can get to the witness and they're not pulled into the drama. So for the first step, for example, I was a walking time bomb when I was younger, Ryan, and I would blast, you know, somebody's cutting me off in the car, somebody's taking my spot, I would freak out. What happened in time is with the commitment to declutter the brain, to become self-aware with compassion. And so when I said, you know, when I noted my ego with my daughter in that um, workshop, it wasn't to beat myself up. It was to go, oh, you poor thing. Yeah, this is about you. I'm going to love you more and forgive you for this. And so it's a matter of, at first, I would react. And this, the world is full of this now, Ryan. As you know, so many fear-based thinking, so many people um, going through this. And what happens is we're reactive. Then we beat ourselves up later for being reactive, right? I'm, I'm so this, I'm so that, I should know better. So what happens is in time, as you learn to sit with your mind and be the witness and with an intent at the center of compassion, then what happens is you're able to pull out. So then I got to the point where I'd still blast somebody for taking my spot. And then right away, I take a moment, take a beat, check in. How do I feel? I feel cruddy. They feel cruddy. And I look at them and I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for reacting. You clearly said you didn't see me there. And so there's the apology. And then after more time with this, what happened was uh, an ability to go before it all happened. Do I want to explode now? How will this make me feel about myself? How will they feel? Would it be better if I came from my heart? And that's my second book for business, The Good Morning Mind. I talk about the nine essential mindfulness habits for the workplace. And I do, both in the audio book and the written book, I do examples of conversations, number one, from the ego, from the fear, from the anxiety. Then I rewrite the conversation, or I have my actors do that in the audio book. What happens the same scenario if we came from the heart? And then the third scenario is what would happen if we were of an even higher, more evolved, enlightened state. And I don't claim to be enlightened, Ryan, but I've worked with a lot of authors who are and worked with a lot of teachers who are, and my, my sense of how things would go if I were that evolved. When you say someone is enlightened, how do they know that they're enlightened? I don't know if, if I'm enlightened. I, I kind of think I'm kind of trucking through life a little bit, 
and I just want to maximize freedom. I, I don't even know if I particularly want to be enlightened. I even want the title. So how do you how do you know if if you are enlightened or if you're in the presence of somebody who is? It's so funny that you're asking that. I worked one of the authors I worked with, and I I've worked with all the biggies. Um, I produced two programs with Dr. David Hawkins, and he's one of the few, because some of them walk a great talk, but they're not all enlightened. David was enlightened. And when he took me through the Q&A and two days of uh, interviews for the audiobook about enlightenment, at the end of it, Ryan, just like you, I'm going, I don't know if I want to be enlightened. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Maybe not this lifetime. Yeah. So <laughs> what, what, I still understand. Like, what is it? What, what does it mean that you're enlightened? Do you have like a, a higher presence? Does it mean that you're more in touch with your spirit? Because a lot of people uh, that seem to have, I mean, I think they, I think if they get a little bit of a following. They're like, oh my god, I'm enlightened, and they try to develop like a cult following. And I read yeah, books by danger. Robert Greene, yeah. and he talks about human beings having a cult following. And I'm always afraid of that i'm always on guard for that i mm -hmm. see i've actually represented somebody before who has got a really big following and i the first time i met them I was like you're, you're developing a cult you're developing a cult and i, I could just see it so mm -hmm. I, I what is mm -hmm. it if, if a person has a lot of followers does that give the impression that they're enlightened so what are some of the qualities of an enlightened person from your perspective well, I think one of the qualities is they won't try and have followers. One of the gentlemen I worked with in India, Bhagavan, um, they were at Oneness University, now O&O, &O, uh, what's it called, O&O University. But it was, uh, he talked about, he started having so many people follow him. He shifted and went, it's not me, it's the light. And he started by saying, it's whatever you believe in. It's not me, it could be Christ, it could be Buddha, it could be atheist, whatever you believe in. I am here to support that journey. And from there, he started noticing that they're started getting, I think, and this is what I've heard. I mean, I shouldn't be, but it, it was understanding was he was concerned about that. And so when he started, all the rhetoric started being around, follow the light, feel the light in your heart, feel it growing. And so he depersonalized. And just like Dr. David Hawkins, he talked about the mind, not my mind. So I think one of the first factors is an enlightened being, and I've only met three or four in my life, they don't ask you to follow them. In fact, they discourage it. When I worked with David Hawkins, he talked about some of the most powerful people out there were people that questioned. They didn't blindly follow a religion, a cult, a leader. They questioned and they went this, the polar opposite. And they came to a place of, I don't know and I don't believe you. And from that place, but there's, to me, there's a purity, there's, there's a fearlessness. It's, these enlightened beings have an awareness and that which most of us talk about or write about or do workshops on, they have a knowing and an understanding. There's an altruism, too, as far as a selflessness. And with Dr. Hawkins, he was delightful. Do you know, I have one story where my first and second recording with him and we go out to lunch and we could have gone to all the fancy dancy places in Arizona he wanted to go to some country buffet thing <laughs> I'm like dang and and after the buffet he turns to his wife and says do you have a toothpick and I said well Dr. Hawkins here I have a plastic toothpick and he got so excited about this plastic toothpick 
he had one foot on this side and one foot on the other, but he had a childlike awe of some of those things which I consider to be so mundane and basic. So I don't claim to be, it's so, I'm fascinated you asking that question, Ryan, because I really feel I have a knowing when I'm working with somebody who is enlightened. But when you ask the qualities, there's a fearlessness, there's a, oh, there's no need to, there's no need to show. And this is the, this is the trick. I mean, you love Stuart Wilde. And I think my, my work with Stuart in one of the, the audio books I did with Stuart, you're not trying to prove yourself. You're not trying to show that I can levitate or I can, I can wharf into another dimension. It's because when they reach that state of enlightenment, that desire, which is ego or a sense of fearfulness, I've got to prove, I've got to show, which is, I think, why very often we don't see these enlightened masters in action because that's not where they are. In fact, many of them go into silence and quiet. So I don't know if I've answered your question. You did answer the question, and those are the ones I love seeking. I love seeking the ones that are very quiet. And with Stuart, he was probably the first teacher I ever came across that I I would call it maybe a mild, I don't know if it was a disdain or a mild disdain. I I would say it safely. It was disdain for the teachers that were putting themselves on a pedestal where they said, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, why do you have to climb up a mountain to get enlightenment? It's like, I, I prefer to get, you know, straight to the point without the rules, without the BS. And mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that he, he did not want to put himself above others. He was just kind of yeah. on the path. He was like a person just driving the car for a little while. Yeah. But I really respect yeah, that. Exactly. And yeah, because anybody that puts themselves above, like, run, run the other way. Or if they have a cult following, like you say, there's so many there's so many traps and it can be, pl- and then so often you see these people who have this following and then years later and many spiritual teachers, they had all this sexual stuff going and this power stuff. It's a fascinating subject. Something that's always grabbed me, Ryan, that I someday love to write about is, you know, power and how sometimes the most pure uh, of intentions turns into power that gets darn right ugly, you know? And, Based on your expertise and what you're feeling and sensing, what do you feel is happening in the world right now? We've come across, we always ask this question and we always try to focus on it. I won't go too much into the darkness and the tyranny, but do you sense that humanity is splitting, that we're actually going to be splitting into like a different multiverse where one will have freedom and one won't? Or uh, uh, pretty much the people that are on the planet right now, are they locked in and they sucked into the fate of the majority of people that feel a certain way? Is it really the majority will ultimately decide the fate and future of humanity regardless of uh, what the minority thinks? Well, talking again about Dr. David Hawkins, he had that scale of consciousness. And he talked about one Christ consciousness is worth how many thousands of lower frequency consciousness beings. And I believe that. And so I believe there's a movement. You know, 10, 20 years ago when I was producing a Nightingale Conant and working with these spiritual authors, they were already alluding to the fact that the world is going to be shifting in a big way. The feminine is going to be a little bit more moving into it all. But there was a sense of, there's, okay, this is what I liken it to, Ryan. Right now we're at a cliff. And we can either fall from that cliff into the jagged rocks below and follow the masses and follow the fear, or we can do a jump. 
And when we jump, we might just miss those jagged rocks and hit the calm waters. But what that jump is about, I believe, and you had a channel on the other day that I thought was dead on, that we are at a point where, you know, he said the light is winning. And so it's a matter of, and I feel it, so many of these spiritual authors and uh, groups now are offering free this, free that. We want to get you enlightened as fast as we can. We want to get as many people awakened as we can. Let's see how many people we can get to meditate at the same time to raise the consciousness of the earth. All kinds of stuff going on where they would have charged an arm and a leg before. So I have a sense of an urgency that I get from them. But there's also a sense of when you have intentions, and again, your channel talked about people that are in the deepest of fear and despair can get hooked into that energy and so I think that what we need to do and I've been doing it throughout this pandemic is connecting in community with like-minded people that are interested in helping the world to heal so for example every week I, I lead a meditation and in that meditation we see ourselves filled with light that light expanding beyond us to every being in the world to visualizing a world that is so innovative because I think out of this we could have another renaissance where people have technology stuff that is so beyond our wildest imaginings that helps to clean the earth that helps to balance the e ecosystem where but there has to be a point and this is tricky Ryan we have to not judge the judges we can't hate the haters one of the most experience, powerful experiences I had was a couple of years ago, I was seeing Marianne Williamson. I recorded her in a couple of um, couple of programs, and I know she was on one of your shows as well. And I was at a conference, and I thought I was there for Eckhart Tolle, and then I was leaving a career, and Marianne and I were speaking, and she said, Teresa, ask how may I serve, because I thought, I don't know what my next career is going to be. So I'm in a cafe, and I'm writing my solo show, and I'm realizing I'm so all about me and in my head and, and it's all about Teresa. And I thought, you know, how may I serve? And I did a meditation on it. And in this meditation, Ryan, I saw a politician I was really struggling with. And I saw Jesus Christ in front of this man. And Christ looked deep into his eyes and he said, I see you and I love you with deep compassion. And the politician said, yes, I'm great. I'm, and Christ said, stop. And he looked deep into his eyes again and said, I see you. I see you and I love you. And all of the emotional armor that this politician had started falling away. And he became a beautiful, innocent five-year-old boy. And in that cafe, I came out of the meditation. I started to weep. And I thought, how can I call those who don't understand my side of things or my point of view as ignorant how can I hate them how can I feel that kind of disdain and think that I'm actually bringing some kind of light to the world we have to find compassion and that doesn't mean that I have to agree with one's other opinion but I certainly can so I blast and it's not easy I've had people that have ripped me off good <laughs> And people that haven't treated me well, and I'm like, okay, Teresa, you sit there. And I've had situations where I've done meditations looking into their eyes and saying, I see you and I love you. 
Otherwise, we're perpetuating the negativity and we're falling deeper into that pit. And there's such polarity, Ryan. There's such polar. I'm wrong. You're right. So black and white. And it's not that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, like I, I don't know. I think everyone comes from their own background. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the, the victim mentality, the professing yes. victim mentality as a virtue, that's what I would say. Not, not weak-minded, but vir- um, the yes. v- victimhood as a virtue. Putting that on a pedestal, like it's, it's, it's killing us. It's killing the, the species. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, you know, you, I find you a fascinating individual yourself. And I know I'm not the interviewer, but, you know, you have some very out there perceptions, ideas, philosophies. And yet there's an openness with you. I can talk to you about anything. Uh, and that there's always, and that's the thing is that we reflect and say, you know, is this possible? I remember going to Dachau years ago, Ryan, and I was by myself in Europe and uh, I was walking through the concentration camp and I got a very strong feeling, first of all, compassion for the perpetrators. They were in a system And it was very unpopular for me to talk about, but I also realized that I had a Hitler within me. And the moment I believed that a Hitler, I am far away from him and I could never be that. And there's nothing in me that is of that nature. I think there's a danger there. We have the potential within us. And we have, like you talked about the shadow, Ryan, we have all of that within us. And if we own it, and if we sit with it and explore it, and not push it away and not project it on somebody else. You're, you know, I'm the victim, you're the perpetrator. Then we have somewhere we can go with it. I remember Dent's doing a, an art workshop and I thought this time I'm going to focus on my shadow self. And I sat there and I meditated and I started doing this wild foil art. And at the end of it, I have these delightful little creatures. I went, what the hell? This, this is my shadow. And my shadow was actually lightness, that I was so attuned to wearing my shadow dark self on my sleeve <laughs> that I got the exact opposite when I allowed it to express itself. <laughs> and did your shadow kind of take you off guard? Did you feel that it was, did you feel that you had more energy afterwards because you were giving it your, your attention? Yes. And I tell you, since I was a little girl, Ryan, it's interesting, the whole shadow talk. I worked with David, uh, what was her name? Uh, uh, Debbie Ford, Dark Side of the Light Chasers. I produced a couple of programs with her, and she was all the shadow work. But I had seen the core of my being since I was a little girl as black tar at the center of my stomach, and that I was dark and evil and ugly, and I had a belief that I was that for many, many, many years and many therapy sessions. And then I started lifting and looking and exploring because I think too, a lot of us, when we've come from some kind of judgmental background or organized religion, we believe we're guilty. We're born guilty. We're born yeah. sinners. You killed and, Jesus. You, know, you did. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. two years old. Where would I get the nails? Right. I'm only allowed to have right. Nerf toys. I'm two years old. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I remember believing, I remember being terrified when I was a child that I was going to, what if I died and didn't get the last rights? I'd go right to hell. I was absolutely terrified. But, you know, when I worked with Ron Roth, and he was an ex-Catholic priest, and he said that sin, if you look at the actual Aramaic uh, proper translation, it's missing the target. It's nothing about what they, you know, and there's so many 
translations of Christ's words in the Bible that what I've heard from scholars, and I don't claim to be one, is they're so off track. It's so off track. And it's, you know, it's about its power, its institution. It's about uh, making people fearful so that they, yeah, procreate and give you lots of money. And yeah, we, I shouldn't go down that route because I do, I tend to be a little bit critical of it. But again, the center of it, and that's what I got as a producer, working with all these different structures and all these different traditions, was that the core of them is all the same truth, whether it's Christ or Buddha, Hinduism, it's all love at the center. And, you know, I love when people say Christ wasn't a Christian. He didn't follow Christianity. He was a, a man. <laughs> right? So, yeah. And I love when you, you're talking about shadow. When it comes to the shadow. I, I love my shadow. I actually, I, I do. I, I feel like I've got an incredible Hulk inside me, and I, I'm in contact with it on a regular basis. And it, and it's pissed off 24 hours a day because it absolutely <laughs> hates what is happening in the world. And I, I'm actually really happy not to be one of those people that has love and compassion for the whole world 24/7. I don't know. I just don't. I don't want to be like that. I, I kind of like the fact that it, that that there's anger there. That there, it, that it definitely sees and recognizes evil. And if that's where my evolution is, and that's where it's going to peak. I'm, I'm completely content with that. And I was listening. Uh, this is an app called Clubhouse, and mm -hmm. it's pretty cool because you can go in and yeah, check out. Yeah, I belong to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go on these certain conversations, and there was this group I was listening to yesterday, and they were talking about shadow processing, and these people were talking about their shadows, and all the the person who was moderating it was saying, "Oh." You have to dissolve your shadow. You've got to cast away your shadow. Mm -hmm. like, that's part of who you are. Why exactly, would you kind of yeah. cast it away? If anything, I figure that's going to make your shadow come back even stronger. It's going to do something even more bold and more audacious to try to get your attention. Just from my first-hand perspective, as soon as I acknowledge my shadow and, and when I fell in love with my shadow, it's like having a it's like having a drinking buddy <laughs> that I get along with. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I get these like boosts of energy that come out of nowhere. And I, I think it's pretty cool. So I don't know. I know some people out there processing the shadow. You want to process the shadow and catch it. Try making friends with it. You, your shadow may be even cooler than you are because I think my shadow is actually the cooler <laughs> dude. Yeah. That is so wise, Ryan. Now tell me something. I don't know. What, what yeah. do you think are the gifts you bring the world by being fully in love with your shadow? This is so wonderful. I, this is so gifts, good. I don't know. You, you mentioned something that um, before I appreciate your compliment about the, uh, I have a unique perspective. You know what happened was when I was a kid, my I fell off my I fell off the swings, um, and landed on my head. And my father was videotaping me. He's like, "Be careful!" And I would fall, and he would he would just videotape it instead of like helping me out. And I think that that's what happened. I think that I, I've just I got you know hits in the head. So maybe that maybe that's the reason for all this. <laughs> as, as far as gifts go, uh, I don't know. I've always considered myself to be a strong argument for birth control. I think that mm -hmm. that's a gift that I have. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what says. I don't know. I don't know. I guess oh, I don't know. I, I just uh, you know I enjoy talking to fascinating teachers like you and and having a good time and trying to explore consciousness. I I, I don't know. Wiggins. I I I can make food disappear from the fridge real fast. That is a skill. Um, I can get my dogs pretty crazy. I can uh, provoke people pretty easily without with just a wink. I don't know. I don't know if those yeah. are real talents, but uh, I'm sure. But like you say, the gift that comes with that, too, is, uh, to me, you're such an open interviewer. And you ask questions that are so provocative because it's not the typical 
following the norms, following the rules, following the great patterns of humankind. That's what, and so, and you know, look what happens with repression. Look what happens when we keep trying to change or fix. You know, we get into this, you sexually repress and then there's acting out and all. I mean, there's so much that said for us not accepting where we are and not uh, expressing who we are and, and the repression. And so what I'm hearing from you is great help in saying, you know what? I got a shadow and I love the hell out of them. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, I wake up in the morning and, you know, he's there. He's like, you know, I wake up in the morning and he's pissed off about something. What? And so, you know, I go to the website. I go to Armstrong Economics, LouRockwell.com, because I really I just want to see what's going on in the world of freedom. And as soon as something happens, it, it's always about justice, too, which I – that's why I respect the shadow, because mm-hmm. it, my shadow always gets provoked when a something is happening to someone who cannot defend themselves, and that's where the um, the anger comes the most. So I feel like it's it's very healthy, and and I would again, I would never want to get to this point where it's like oh you know it's part of the whole evolution. Because I don't know, I don't believe so. I was talking to mm-hmm. uh, one of my good friends, and we talked about this concept of okay, well maybe we are mental manifestations within a universal mind well what if the universal mind you know theoretically speaking has a tumor in it maybe all this craziness that's happening in the world is part of a a tumor that is infecting the the universal mind and certain people that are mental creations are meant to be the the white blood cells or or like you know the chemo or something i don't know Mm, i I look at it in the greater mm -hmm. perspective do you ever look at that at all do you ever think that you know theoretically speaking if you know, if our bodies are comprised of all these cells that are alive and that they're working on us, that we are part of a greater physical being than in some way, shape, or form, or, or on a micro level, uh, battling it out to try to determine the whole, I don't know, life and future of, of the supreme being that, that kind of gives us all life. Well, and what I'm thinking of is you're talking about it being a tumor. And what is tumor energetically? That's a lack of flow in the body. That's, a, that's the flow that's being stifled. And so when you're talking about expressing, appreciating, and honoring the shadow, that's going with the flow. There ain't no tumor there. You understand? So it's an interesting analogy. Thank you. And what have been a couple of things you've done to accelerate your evolution? What would you say was a couple of things that that had had the most profound impact on you? I think a lot of cathartic work, a lot of feeling into, like I've said, the deepest and darkest really looking at that that pit of tar that I thought was at the center of my being and kind of, you know, swimming in that tar and then working on, you know, what are um, what are the shadows and, 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 and then also getting out of my comfort zone. You know, I traveled the world on my own. I, I, I walked into Nightingale Publishing and went, I'm going to work for you. And they said, we don't have a job. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to work for you. We can't pay. I'm going to work for you. That's I mean, so awesome. Kind of how- That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a sense of being very bold and just getting out of our own way. But for me, when I was in my early 20s, Ryan, I thought my life journey is about falling head over heels in love with myself. And it was, I knew I was going to try and, and get there and then help others do the same. Uh, and I think that in any way that I can do that, and, and it's not, like you say, it's not for the lighthearted. You have to be willing to go to the ugliest most um, alien parts of who we are. And I think I've done a lot of that and I still got a lot of work to do there. But I think what I do is I create a safe environment, whether I'm doing workshops or or my books or whatever, 
where others are able to come there. With my one woman show, I, I did a show, Causes Joy, before the quarantine, and I toured with it. And it was about my trip to India. But I integrated into the trip to India for teachers. I did meditations and four fairy tale princesses came out of my subconscious and were whipping me with the truth. And I was not a victim of anything. So Rapunzel, she put herself in the tower and she's this German hiker and she's all about, oh, you know, get yourself under the tower. And then I had Cinderella was this little French kitten, very sexy, but she did not. She wanted to be in the way. She wanted to be alone. Um, and then I, she was a chronic cleaner. So she was a little bit of a obsessive compulsive and she kind of challenged that in me. And then the third one was Queenie and she is an old fart. She was from princess in the pea and she was all about being overly sensitive. And then the final princess in the show was, um, from beauty and the beast. It was Belle and she was a hedonist and she was overweight and loved the hell out of herself just the way she is. And at the end of my show, she hands me a mirror and says, what do you see? And I have a hard time looking in that mirror and loving what I see staring back at me. So the show was, it wasn't acting. I mean, I played 14 different characters, but I was so honest about myself and my shadow and my light and who am I and what I am. I, but I'm, I'm very proud of that journey because it allowed audience members to laugh and cry with me. And I think even as a producer, I used to go into studio with these authors and Unlike most producers are at the other side of the glass pane saying, you popped your pee. I insisted I go in there in the booth with the author. And we'd have a Q&A and I'd engage with them. And I, often I'd get into the deepest, darkest, my own muck and say, here's my situation. What do I do? And I'd be crying in the studio with these authors as I'm processing stuff. But I'm going, number one, selfishly, it helps me. Number two, the listeners, I'm sure a lot of them are going through the same. So it's been, it's been a hell of a ride, Ryan. You've done a lot. And (laughs) we've had a couple guests come on, and they say that, you know, when you get, when you travel and you see different people, you get a a greater perspective. Was, what was the, if you look at your life and you you see some beliefs that you've had, was there, what was the most profound shift in belief that you've ever had in your life? The most profound shift? Oh. I know what it was. Then it was a long time ago. It was believing in past lives. I was brought up Catholic. It was almost sacrilege. Poor to thing, in past me too. Lives. Me too. We, we, <laughs> and I, yeah. Oh my God. And I remember a friend of mine saying to me that she was around during the potato famine in Ireland, and I thought, let's put her away right now. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, I'm going, oh my God, I so believe in past lives. Absolutely. So blowing. And it's interesting because I left the Catholic faith, Ryan, and was really battling with uh, in Toronto in the 1982, they had uh, the, the bishop, the archbishop of Toronto had the priests all read a homily that were uh, encouraging us to fight against same sex marriages. And I thought, what, where is compassion in this? And where is religion in this? And I got really ticked off. And I wrote a letter to the archbishop saying, you are homophobic, you're femophobic, I leave this church. And I got a little postcard back. He was he went on sabbatical or, or, or some kind of retreat for a, a month and disappeared after this. And it basically got a card saying, if you want to learn more about the Catholic Church, read Catechism, page this to that. And I felt done. But I really wanted to reconcile. And years later, I went to Europe saying, I don't have the structure of Catholicism anymore. I want to find God again. And I found the divine in some of these old ancient Catholic churches. I still felt a connection. 
And so I kind of joke that I'm a recovered Catholic. I'm not recovering. I've recovered. And I, Jesus Christ is one of my master teachers, along with many others, you know, Kuan Yin and Mother Earth and, and Buddha and many of them. Um, but it, it was a reconciliation. And, you know, my mom is probably turning. She's not yet. She's still here, but she'd be freaking because she's very Catholic. But for me, I honor and I can appreciate what it is at the core and Jesus Christ and his message at the core. And I can say that as an institution, it's fallible. It's made mistakes. Uh, it's repressed a lot. And I disagree with a lot of that, but I can still love the ritual and the tradition and the message at the core. That's really awesome. Because some people I get, you know, that's one thing I have to say. I mean, I will never, ever, ever, uh, I didn't want anything to do with the Catholic Church. That was, but I, at one point, it was a big, big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I do miss, mm-hmm. I do miss the ritual. I do think it was kind of cool going to church on, you know, yeah, Christmas. It was just really nice. It was just something beautiful yeah. about it. But then, you know, doing my own thing now, I, I just developed my own religion. It's called the religion of pizza. <laughs> and beer. Pizza and beer, absolutely. I love you, Ryan McCormick. Well, that's just what it's kind of cool because you know I can show up whenever I want to. I don't have to give money, and uh, you know the only, well, I do confess my sins on a regular basis, but it's it's not to God; it's to my wife because I'm always doing something wrong. So I still got the element of confession in there. And I do get the element of uh, being on my knees because I'm on my knees begging for forgiveness. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that thing with the baby. So I don't know. I mean, it's just a suggestion if you're out there and you have and you miss religion, you can start your own. And, you know, you can be the one person in your in your church. Yeah. So. yeah. I used to joke, though. I used to say to my sister, I want to start my own religion, but I what? want there to be no dogma. And she says, you can't. It, it doesn't exist. There will always be dogma. So it can be kind of, yeah, it's like, what the heck? <laughs> but it's not there. Are there any particular spiritual practices that you incorporate into your life that you find that give you a tremendous amount of comfort and they're something that other people can incorporate as well? Well, you know, in my book, The Eight Ways to Declutter Your Brain, I have all these inventories. So people love questionnaires. We love to kind of talk about ourselves and check into ourselves. So I have a bunch of questionnaires like a brain clutter inventory or a guilt questionnaire as far as checking into how much guilt you have, a victim versus vice profile, stuff like that. Um, but the big thing for me, Ryan, is getting people, you know, I can talk till I'm blue in the face and I can tell all these great stories and I can give my theories, but that takes you nowhere. And especially with my background as a producer, I want to be able to move people from where they are so that they've got some kind of shift in their lives. And so, you know, with my books and my audios and my workshops, it's kind of like, I don't want to just give you theory and anecdotes. I want to give you practical application. So for me, it's taking people through experiential exercises where they're feeling a shift. And lately, I've been, I belong to a bunch of different virtual groups and some of them are healing groups. Some of them are meditation groups. Uh, It's really wonderful. I encourage the listeners if you're feeling isolated and lonely, there's so many groups out there and you don't have to drink the Kool-Aid. You know, you can use them for what they give you and for what they energetically give and find the right ones. Some of them, they've been so lost in ego. I've actually left them and go, you know, the guy's talking about, I'm it. Uh, this is, I'm the one that's bringing this. I'm like, okay, we're done. <laughs> um, 
but you know, being in community and then seeing yourself just releasing into love and light and seeing it at the core of your being in your heart, radiating outward. You know, I've, I've done Reiki and I used to do a lot of healing modalities, Ryan. And what I found was I'd be draining myself energetically, both doing the healing work and then also with friends, emotionally supporting friends. Until finally I got to the realization, I had one friend and he was suicidal and he talked to me on the phone. And I'd just taken a weekend workshop on healthy boundaries and not necessarily taking on other people's stuff because as an empath, we tend to do that. And so at the end of the weekend workshop, he called me Sunday night and he's talking suicide. And I thought, Teresa, you do not have to feel his pain. You do not have to go there with him. You know, maintain your own energy and let him maintain his. And after the 40-minute call, I, he hung up and I thought, oh, my God, I'm such a failure as a friend. I wasn't there for him. Because as an empath, we literally feel into their pain with them. He called me the next morning and said, Teresa, thank you so much. That was so helpful. I thought, oh, I don't have to be sucked dry of my energy to support my friend. And to support our friends does not mean feeling with them. It means sitting and holding space. It means being empathetic and say, I see you, just like the Christ in that vision. I see you. But we're in a world where we're supposed to all think we've got to fix everybody. And we've got to do something to shift them and change them and, and say the right thing, do the right thing. It's a matter of just being present with them and being fully open. It's you as a host, right? You're, you create these questions and we have these dialogues and I feel safe to talk about anything with you because of that openness. And so to support our friends, and the same with the healing. Now when I'm doing energetic work, I see a light at the core of my being that comes from source. So whether you call source Christ, God, creative energy, universal consciousness, whatever, that light is in my heart radiating outward, but it fills my body first so that every cell of my being is filled with light and then it radiates out. So guess what? I'm not being drained energetically. Because I did years of energy work where I would literally be exhausted after I did it. Why? Because I was using Teresa, which is really ego. It's, it's not me. I'm just a facilitator calling that energy and moving it outward. So I think that's something that I'm, you know, you asked about the processes lately. It's about seeing, feeling, being in the light and seeing it expanding beyond us and blasting the world. Um, but it's something that's with the intention never to be physically, emotionally, or spiritually drained. That's to be filled ourselves first. That's so awesome. I love that response because I mean, I, I go through this, and I'm sure people who are listening go through that. When you listen, when you're talking to someone, maybe you are people, especially who are empathic, they do absorb the energy. They do feel mm -hmm. certain things. I've got three or four of my friends are psychic, and. I know that I think after the end of the day they get they get exhausted because they're taking on all different things, and I love mm -hmm. how you directed it in the fact that it maybe you know, it could be ego, but you know focus on getting the light into you first and just by being present. Mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. And I don't mean to be harsh; it's not necessarily ego empath. It's harsh. Just, it's good. Bill, so, be, be as harsh. Yeah. We got we got yeah. we got we got warriors that listen to this show. Be as straightforward <laughs> as you wish. Yeah, but it can also be they're so sensitive and they're yeah. so wanting to help others. But it's also we're often, many of us are wounded healers, right? So it's mm -hmm. like we're feeling into their pain and we're, you know, how much of this is also our pain and how much is it our stuff around the feeling that we can't really help them more. I mean, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. How do people access 
the source energy the way you described because I'll say this we've done several different interviews with people who've had near death experiences and mm-hmm. they do cite a god as 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 the prime being or the source and I think that it's described in a number of ways they always they always say it's light and it's at the, the highest frequency and then with Nancy I always think that her interview or her perspective really opened up so many different doors because she described it very explicitly she she, she was a lawyer that died mm-hmm. and she I think mm-hmm. she put God on the witness stand and she was very descriptive about certain things that it, it's a it's a one prime being so how does a mental projection of a prime being incorporate the totality of the prime being through its uh, perspective like how do you incorporate more of that supreme being through your own energy which is a mental projection of itself right well i find that first of all you know our little puny little pea brain humans we we for years like the whole catholic thing that there's a guy up on a cloud who's judging the heck out of me this big man big old man and to me when people talk about god as a human being it, it to me it feels forgive me it's kind of trite it's so simple <laughs> it, it, it's just it just blows my mind because and but then to start it could be like a best friend so i see many masters buddha christ so many of these you know david hawkins some of these enlightened teachers i see kuan yin uh, i pachamama mother earth i see them as uh, entities energies humans that saw their own divinity that were not getting in their own way that weren't in fear and so i start by talking to them and seeing them you know this is another ryan the catholic thing when i was a little girl and lost in the catholic faith and thought maybe at one point i wanted to be a nun and so lost in the whole sin thing at one point one night i had a dream and i must have been maybe grade three or four and in the dream christ was sitting on a porch step with me and he was like a big brother and he was holding me and loving me. And that dream has brought such calm and peace for me. So to start seeing our divine as a friend, uh, you know, sometimes it's seeing as divine father or mother, but then there can be a lot, a lot of loaded stuff with that because our human parents aren't perfect. So we can bring in some real projections there. I know one spiritual teacher, I used to pray to him and I had a, I had a picture of him and he looked so stern and so angry. And then the more I worked on this, the more I started seeing, wait a second, that face has got a smile on it. So there can be a lot of projection, but to start seeing our divine as a, a deep, loving, compassionate friend. And then it gets to the point where I think it, you kind of can start to depersonalize it and get to the point where you see it as part of yourself. I know years ago I brought my husband to a workshop when I was in Vancouver at Clear Mind International, and they did a rebirthing process. It was a couple's workshop, and he wasn't into any of this woo-woo stuff. I had to drag him out, and he ends up being rebirthing, Ryan, and he ends up going into Tantra and has this awakened experience. I mean, we're out of this, and he, his whole body is shaking for the rest of the day, and he said to me, Teresa, I was in that ocean of oneness and I got so pissed off with my divine. I'm like, wait a second here. I have been pursuing this stuff my whole life. And this twit who doesn't even want to be here, he has this awakened experience. Like <laughs> I, was, I was like crossing out my divine. And then of course, later it's like, Teresa, this is the man you love. This is the man you're marrying. It's a gift. And I still, to this day, I'm very jealous because that changed his life. Just having that moment of seeing himself as part of this ocean 
of oneness. I've never had that. I feel joy. I can, I can get lost now in a place of joy where when I was in India, these people, I remember the first day meditating, these people from all over the world started hackling. And I thought they sound like insane, rabid monkeys. And it pissed me off because it was getting in the way of quieting my mind, so-called. And later I started to the point where I can start into a hysterical laughter uh, and tears. And, and it's, it's being in this place of connection to all that is. And it's un, it's, it's unabashed feeling into some joyful, loving place. Like the, the, the title of my one woman show is Causeless Joy. And that was the concept that it just joy because for no reason, just because you're realizing your oneness in existence. So that's a long-winded answer. Oh, it was great. It's great. <laughs> Teresa Pushko, and thank you so much for being with us today. You presented so much powerful and positive information. I really appreciate it. To learn more about Teresa, please go to our website at teresapushkar.com. And the name is spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A, Pushkar, P-U-S-K-A-R. Again, she's got a new book called Eight Ways to Declutter Your Brain. And there's also The Good Morning Mind, Nine Essential Habits Workplace. We will post links to both. Teresa, thank you so much for being with us today. Always a delight, Ryan. Just love talking to you. You're the best. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guests, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.